morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship Church. I want to welcome you to this next installment uh, in our series on the Exodus. Inside your bulletin today, you'll find an outline where I'm headed today with a number of references from Exodus 32, where we learn the lessons, where we're going to learn lessons from the episode of the gold calf. And so if you need a pen, by the way, to fill in the blanks on your outline, please just raise your hand. One of our ushers will come up and down the aisles and bring a pen to you. I want to welcome the folks who are worshiping via video down our unplugged service as well. We're glad you're along for the ride. Um, and today we're going to learn some important lessons from this story. I was asked um, by somebody just this last week, they said, well, you know, John, the children of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years before they had a promise letter. Are we going to be in Exodus that long? I mean, how long is this series going? And I said, no, we were gonna, but we will be in it a few more weeks because there are some lessons that apply to us. Old Testament stories, 1,500 years before Jesus was born, that if you understand what was going on, they're as real and relevant as the newspaper today. And this is no exception. There are a lot of life applications from the story of the gold calf. And uh, I want to help us understand them today. At Centerpoint, one of our uh, core beliefs is we believe the Bible is our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And today, you'll see how important that is. Because if we change the Bible, it changes the faith that we do practice. And in essence, that was what was going on with the gold calf. And you'll see as we go through. Let me have a word of prayer for us, and we'll jump right in. Lord, I want to thank you for the day. I want to thank you for your word. It's our guide. So we know how to live, and we know how to love you, and we know how to serve you, we know how to worship you correctly. And so, God, I pray that you'll speak, you'll move me out of the way, and teach us some things we need to know. And we pray these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Point one on your outline kind of sets the stage for today. While Moses was meeting with God on Mount Sinai, he left his brother Aaron in charge. If you're not familiar with Exodus at all, if you're here for the first time, let me summarize uh, where we've been in this series. You saw it on the video, some pictures of this. The children of Israel were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. They cried out to God from, uh, for release from slavery from the brutal Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And so God sent a man, Moses, to deliver them. Moses delivered the terms that these were God's people, and he wanted Pharaoh to let them go. And Pharaoh said, I ain't doing it. And so God sent 10 plagues, miraculous plagues, upon the Egyptian people. And by the time they had suffered enough under these horrible plagues, um, they let the people go. They crossed through the Red Sea on their journey to the Promised Land. God miraculously opened up a channel for them through the Red Sea. The Egyptians had changed their minds and chased after them. The water closed over them, and the soldiers were no more. A couple months later, they arrived at the base of Mount Sinai, the place where God had called Moses into action to be the leader in the first place. Brought him right back to that mountain. And so two months after they had come out of Egypt, they were there, and God himself speaks from the top of Mount Sinai. A huge cloud covers the top of the mountain, and it quakes with power, and there's fire. It looks like a volcano. And God himself speaks the Ten Commandments to them. And we talked about this last week. The first time the Ten Commandments were ever heard, they were heard out loud by the voice of God. And God said, I'm appearing in this way, so you will always respect me and honor me. And not take me for granted. And that's why the first two commandments are, there's no other gods, don't worship them, worship only me. Make no idols. Don't do it. I'm God Almighty, you can't picture me accurately anyway. And the people said, hey, whatever you say, God, we'll do it. And then they grabbed Moses and said, Moses, you're our leader, you go talk to him. If we talk to God, we're all going to die. And so Moses said, okay. And God said, Moses, I want you to come up on the mountain. I've given the Ten Commandments, so I want to give you a hard copy. A very hard copy made out of stone, okay? 
And that's what happened. He went up and got stone tablets that were a copy of the agreement. And now we're back to point one. So while Moses was meeting with God on Mount Sinai, he left his brother Aaron in charge. When God had called Moses, Moses said, God, I'm not that good at public speaking. He said, well, then take your brother Aaron along. He'll speak when you can't. So Aaron was his right-hand man. So here's what it says in Exodus 24. Moses and his assistant Joshua climbed up the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, and Moses told the elders, stay here and wait for us until we come back. Aaron and her, and by the way, her is a he, um, Aaron and her are here with you. If anyone has a dispute while I'm gone, consult with them. And so Moses remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. If you're thinking, wow, that's a biblical sounding number, it is. Anytime God's up to something big, it's 40 days and 40 nights. And this was big. And so Moses was gone a long time. And the people grew impatient. That brings us to point two. When the Israelites became impatient, they gave up on Moses and they blasphemed God. Leave that up there for a while. We don't know, many of us don't even know how to spell blaspheme. We don't use it anymore. We're comfortable with blaspheming God in many parts of the world. Blasphemy, by the way, you can write in the margin, contempt, mocking. It means to mock God, show contempt for him. You walk into a court of law and stand before a judge and cuss at him or swear at him or belittle his or her office at the bench, you will find out that's a bad idea. Contempt of court shows a, there are a lot of penalties that come with that because we say, this is a person in powerful position. You need to respect the bench. Well, multiply that times a million. This is a God, the creator of the universe, and he does not want us taking his name in vain. And that's why using God's name in vain is a form of blasphemy. It shows contempt for him as if he were a common thing. He is God Almighty and God alone, and we, must, we dare not blaspheme him. Well, when the Israelites got tired of waiting for Moses, they kicked him to the curb and they blasphemed God. And you'll see how that worked out here in Exodus 32. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, Moses' brother. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us up from the land of Egypt. I mean, think of this. This fellow Moses? And Moses was their leader. Moses led him through the Red Sea. Moses had stood in Pharaoh's presence. Moses had uh, struck a rock and water came gushing out. Moses had interceded for them before God and they had heard his prayers out loud and they'd seen God answer him. And now a month and a half later, we don't know who this Moses is. It'd be like if somebody got married and then had to go away on business for six or seven weeks. And the end of six or seven weeks, they call home and the wife's out with some other man. Yeah, this fellow John, I don't even know who he was. You go, what? That's really what's going on. They had told Moses, go up the mountain, Moses. We'll do whatever God says. We'll obey him. Just don't let us get destroyed. A month and a half later, ah, we don't even know who God is. And this fellow Moses, we don't even know what happened to him. Make us some gods. They had served underneath the pharaohs and the Egyptians who worshipped a whole pantheon of gods. And they said, hey, we're going to just serve him, serve those gods. We like that idea. We're used to little statues and idols. And so they said, Aaron, give us gods like that. So Aaron said, well, take the gold rings from your ears and from the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. If you're wondering, hey, I thought these guys were enslaved for hundreds of years. How'd they get gold jewelry? Well, they got gold jewelry on their way out. The Egyptians were so favorably disposed toward them, they just said, after all the plagues, they were stripping off their earrings and their rings, and their, they were giving them the best of their clothing, whatever they wanted. 
Just get out of our country before we all die. And the Bible says it was like the Israelites plundered them on their way out. So they would have had lots of gold. So then Aaron took the gold, he melted it down, and he molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people, ex- when the people saw it, they exclaimed, O oh Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. If you're wondering why a calf, um, we talked about this during the plagues, God systematically demonstrated that he was more powerful than any of the gods of Egypt. One of the plagues was the whole land turned dark for three days because they worshiped the sun god. The sun went out. God made the sun. Uh, they worshiped a god that looked like a frog, and so the land was covered with them. They worshiped another god that looked like a cow, Hoppy or Apis. There were two of them in their pantheon, one a male and one a female version. And God struck all the cattle with a terrible disease, and they all died. And now here, a couple of months later, they're worshiping their own little god-calf thing. And so Aaron saw how excited the people were, and so he built an altar in front of the calf. And then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. So the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings, and after this they celebrated with feasting, and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. And if you think pagan revelry, think something dirty. This is immorality. They were partying hardy. Forty days and forty nights before, oh God, we'll do whatever you want. Do not commit adultery. Well, we don't like that one. Don't make graven images. No, we're not, we're not holding to that. No other gods. No, we'll, we'll make our own. Don't steal. Well, God, we know you gave us these gold things for us, but we're going to use them for something you don't want. Bam, 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 breaking all the commandments. And the reason, and you'll see it made God very angry, and it broke his heart, and here's why. Psalm 106 tells us, the people made a calf at Mount Sinai, and they bowed down before an image made of gold. They traded their glorious God for a statue of a grass-eating bull. I mean, imagine this. The God of all heaven, well, how do you want to picture him? As a grass-eating bull. And God had to tell them, I don't eat grass. I mean, my goodness, you couldn't insult him or blaspheme him more. You could not show more contempt for him. There's a life application in all of this for you and me. God will not share our affections with gods of our own design. I want you to notice this. Listen to what God says. Then the Lord told Moses, Quick, Moses, go down the mountain. The people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they've turned away from the way I commanded to live. They've melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, These are your gods, O Israel. I mean, the statue would have been a god, and then the god it represented. So that's why it's plural there. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Please underline that. They weren't denying that a God had brought them out of Egypt. They were just redefining who God was. Not the God who was on top of the mountain speaking with Moses, but a God they made, custom made, according to their own desires. And then the Lord said, I've I've seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them. I will destroy them. And he went on to tell Moses there, Moses, I'll start all over again with you and your descendants. God was angry. They weren't denying that God brought them out. What they were doing is they were corrupting who God was. God had specifically told them, there are no other gods up here. It's just me. 
Don't worship any other gods but me. Commandment number one. Commandment two, make no graven image of me. You can't describe me anyway. Do not do it. This is forbidden. I will not take it lightly. I will not share your uh, love and your passions with any other god that you make. Don't do it. And that brings us to Galatians 1.8. Let God's curse fall on anyone, Paul wrote, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. And I want to make sure we understand how this applies to us. I mean, you might be here today and saying, John, you know, I'm glad you're talking about the gold calf. And if anybody ever makes a statue out of gold of a little cow, I promise I won't bow down. Okay, if you're thinking that that's the big lesson for us today, you missed it entirely. It was the big lesson for them because that's what their culture was doing. All the rich and powerful people in Egypt bowed down to the gold calf. And so now when they got out and they had gold, they wanted to be just like the people who were still trapped in that evil empire. God had called them to a new life. Parallel to Christianity, God called you out of your sinful life. Don't run back and bow down to the same things you did when you were lost. Don't try to fit into the culture. And Paul warned the Galatians about this. The Galatians, in that reference, they were saying that everybody who wanted to become a Christian, first of all, had to observe all the Jewish laws because they had all... People in Galatia, these were people who were strict observers of Jewish laws. If you observe all the Jewish laws, then after that, maybe you can become a Christian if you're good enough. And Paul says, that's not what the message of the cross is. The message of the cross is you can come and be saved if you come to Jesus. And so they were changing it. They were corrupting it. Instead of preaching the good news, they were preaching their own version of the good news. The Israelites, instead of worshiping the God who truly rescued them, from slavery in Egypt, were worshiping their own corrupted version of it. By the way, this wouldn't have been some giant calf that weighed thousands of pounds. It was probably a small little statue up on a tall pedestal that they would all bow down to. Picture of a grass-eating bull. Ugh. And it was a great sin. They weren't saying God hadn't rescued them. They were saying, and this is what God looks like a little calf that we can control, that we can fashion, and we can worship in the way we choose. He told us not to commit adultery. We don't like that one. He told us not to make idols. We don't like that one. And so how does it apply to you and me when we hear about the golden calf? Well, we can do the same thing when we have the Bible. Parts of the Bible we don't like, take the page out, tear it up. Now it's not in the Bible anymore. Yo, John, who does stuff like that? Well, here's a picture of Thomas Jefferson's Bible, one of the brightest people ever in the founding of our nation. Thomas Jefferson did not believe in miracles. So you know what he did in his Bible? He took a razor knife and he cut out all the places in the Bible where there were miracles. Go to the next slide. You'll see some of these pages. Can we go to the next picture, please? Yeah, there's another part. Whole pages are missing. Doesn't even make sense. But he didn't believe that God did miracles. And so he took it out and he tore it up. There aren't any miracles. God doesn't do miracles. That was Jefferson. It's the same as the gold calf. We'll just make God in the way we want him to look. Throw away the rest. John, that doesn't happen today. No, not unless, of course, you don't believe God made the world and created the world, because that's not where science is headed on a lot of things, popular notions of how the world came into being. So God didn't do this. If there is a God, he wound up the world and let it spin. It's kind of evolving completely out of control. There is no God who made the world. He didn't make you either. 
Let's just forget about that. Oh, and uh, by the way, let's tear out all the pages that have to do with sexual immorality. The people there didn't like it. We don't like it today either. You like pornography and we're told not to lust after women? Well, we don't like that. Hey, we don't like to talk about gay marriage or homosexual sin either. That's not popular today. So let's just tear it out. It's not in the Bible anymore. It's gone. You want to sleep around, have an affair? Go ahead. God doesn't care. He doesn't care. Tear it out. It's not in the Bible. And now we have a different kind of Bible. What about if I want to be materialistic? I mean, you get the idea. I don't have to help the poor. Store up everything for me. Throw it away. And now let's read that Galatians verse again. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. Why? Because the good news changes. You take out the part about sexual sin. You take out the part about God creating you. You take out the part about heaven or hell and all that stuff. You want to tear it. People don't want to hear that either. Tear it all out. Okay, well, here's the good news. What's the good news? The good news is no longer that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross to pay for your sins because you and I are sinners. The good news is nobody's a sinner because there's no more sin. The good news is you don't need Jesus to die on the cross and to have your sins forgiven to go to heaven. You go to heaven because there's no hell. Everybody gets in by default. Can you imagine living in a culture like that? We do live in a culture like that. And no, we're not going to bow down to a golden calf and have a calf thing, but we'll have a half-cut-up Bible thing with a God who has no power, who didn't make us. There is no heaven. There is no hell. There was no virgin birth. Jesus really didn't die on the cross, or we don't know. There's lots of ways to God. You can sin like heck, and God grades on a curve. As long as you didn't kill anybody, you're good. I might hear that one constantly. Well, I'm not a sinner. I haven't killed anybody, as if that's the standard now. Well, thank God you haven't killed anybody this week. Thank God. Don't you think there's a little more to holiness than I hadn't murdered anybody yet? But this is where we are. It's not like I killed anybody. No, but the question is, do you know God? And do you want to know him for who he is? And this is why the Bible is so important to our faith. And we just tear out the parts we don't like. Now look, I'm going to get emails from some of you because I might have mentioned your pet thing. It doesn't matter if I make a list of 50 things, people still email me and go, you just harped on that one thing. No, I didn't. Name your poison. We all have problems that we have to come to. There are parts of the Bible that are very uncomfortable for me. There are other parts that are uncomfortable for you. I can't change that. And the only question is, do you want to worship God for who he is, or do you want to worship a God of your own making? And if you want to know how God feels about it, it makes him angry. He didn't give us our instructions so we could go and destroy ourselves. He didn't give them gold jewelry so they could make a stupid calf thing. It was wrong was sinful. And Thomas Jefferson may have been wise in many other ways, but he was a fool when it came to his understanding of the Bible. Now, fortunately, there was help. Because when the Israelites distanced themselves from God, Moses stood in the gap. Remember, they told him, Moses, you go up on the mountain, we can't face holy God. Well, they were right. They weren't even interested in talking about holy God. Psalm 106 tells us how important Moses' role in this was. God declared he would destroy them. 
But Moses has chosen one step between the Lord. Listen to this. He stepped between the Lord and the people, and he begged him to turn from his anger and not destroy them. Moses is a, is a shadow, a foreshadowing of Jesus who would come later. Somebody who would stand between the wrath of God and sinful people like you and me. And Moses did it for his people. So point A, Moses represented his sinful people before holy God and he interceded for them. He prayed for them. Begged God not to destroy them. Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, and flip your outline over please. O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. And then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you've written. And Moses was willing to jump in front and say, Lord, if you've got to fire the shot, then let me take the bullet. And this is amazing. These people were wicked, and Moses said, But they're my people. And Lord, I beg you not to destroy them. Let their punishment fall on me. Eventually, that whole generation died in the wilderness. That is why it took 40 years for them to get to the promised land. They were a stubborn and stiff-necked generation. And God said, no, Moses, they'll die for their own sins. Moses was not an acceptable sacrifice. He couldn't take the place of his sinful people because Moses was a sinner too. But in the New Testament, we find Jesus could take the place. When he said, Lord, let their sins be upon me, the Father said, okay. And he took all of our punishment upon himself. But there's a life application in this, even looking at the life of Moses. God wants us to intercede on behalf of sinners. And if you'd rather change that from us, write your name next to that. In my case, God wants John to intercede on behalf of sinners. I mean, it scares me sometimes when I disagree with people who live sinful lifestyles or who are greedy or who are, um, I know people who are just trying to work their way up the ladder and using people and stepping on them to get ahead and I can see it. People who are bitter and angry over many things, controlled by their lusts, controlled by racism or materialism or something else. And there's a part of me, man, if God said, move aside, John, I'm going to destroy him. It's like, Lord, you go ahead. That's good. I'm glad to get rid of him. Be my guest. And the reason you're laughing is a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And when I see Moses here, when Moses found people who were caught in sin, caught in immorality, caught in idolatry, caught in open rebellion, he didn't go, God, just wipe them out. I'm tired of them too. Go get them. Sick them, Lord. Go get them. That's not what he said. He said, Lord, please have mercy on them. Paul wrote to Timothy, the guy he was discipling with, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. Now, when Paul's writing this, Nero is emperor in Rome. He's using Christians as torches for his garden parties, impaling them soaking them in kerosene, and throwing a match. Paul said, pray for him. 
Wow. Note on this, it's important for us to understand, when we intercede for sinners, we're acting like Jesus. Jesus intercedes for you and me, and we're sinners. You've heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. That was the prayer he was praying while on the cross, praying for the people who were nailing him to the cross, spitting on him and mocking him and saying, if you're the son of God, then come down. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Jesus wants us to be like that for the sinners of our day. When the gap got wide, Moses stood in the gap and said, Lord, please, I beg you, have mercy on them. Would that describe you and me? Or we just say, come on through. God's looking for people who will step in the gap. Paul said to Timothy, do this. It's why uh, Scott mentioned earlier, we have a National Day of Prayer coming up this Thursday. If you can make it, 7 o'clock, Thursday morning at the Doster Center. Everybody here in Prattville got a breakfast there. Pastors from all over the community. I'm a part of a pastor's association, Scott and I are, and we get together and we lead this thing. We pray for our nation, for our military, all the people in our country. Noon on the Capitol steps in Montgomery, I'm going to be part of that again. Come together with brothers and sisters and pray. And every now and then I'll meet people and go, I'm not praying for that rascal, whether it's a governor or a president or senator. I didn't vote for her. I didn't vote for him. I ain't praying for him. Well, wouldn't you think the rascals need the most prayer? But all too often we let our politics determine our prayer instead of our prayer instead of praying for our politicians. Now, how wrong is that? If you disagree with someone, then pray for them. Don't hate them. Love them enough to pray that they'll repent and come to Jesus. That's the good news. So Moses represented sinful people to holy God, and in point B, he also represented holy God to sinful people. This is what the Bible means when it says that Peter said, hey, you're a whole nation of priests. This is what he means. A priest is somebody who stands between holy God and sinful people, represents the sinful people to God, represents the holy God to sinful people. Moses turned and went down the mountain after God told him what was going on, held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. I mean, God himself had chiseled these out. God himself had written the commandments on the stone with his own finger. As he neared the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger, and he threw the stone tablets to the ground, and he smashed them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made, and he burned it, then he ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and forced the people to drink it. Took the tablets and smashed them. If you're going to break all the commandments anyway, then let's just break the tablets where they're recorded on. You don't love God anyway. What do you care? Got this calf thing. He's so angry, he took that thing and he smashed it into powder, threw it in the river running down the mountain and made him drink it. Forty years later, he was still talking about this. Just write your margin, Deuteronomy 9. He was mad. I feared the anger and wrath of the Lord. This is Deuteronomy 9.19. For he was angry enough with you to destroy you But again, the Lord listened to me, and the Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him, but at that time I prayed for Aaron too. And I took that calf thing of yours, this is Deuteronomy 9.21, I took that calf thing that you'd made, and I burned it in the fire, and then I crushed it, and I ground it in powder as fine as dust, threw it in the dust in the stream that flowed down the mountain, and I made you drink it. 
and it was bitter and it upset your stomach. Now you can know how bitter your sin is to God. He rescued you because he loves you. He showered you with gifts from the people who treated you horribly for hundreds of years. And how did you thank him? You went and made this calf idol and bowed down to it and said, this is who, I, who God is. He's not a grass-eating cow. We're grateful to Jesus that he died on the cross for us. Now let's tear, about, tear out all the pages and talk about the sins that he died for. Then wonder how come everybody's confused. We changed the deal. That's why. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. God wants us. This is life application, by the way. I'm sorry. I skipped this. God wants us to be his representatives to a sinful culture. Look, we're not doing anybody a favor by shortcutting, taking a shortcut on this. If you have a friend who's an alcoholic, it's not a kindness to pretend he, doesn't, he or she doesn't have a drinking problem. It's not a kindness. If you have a friend who's having an affair, it's not a kindness to overlook it and go, there, there, God doesn't care. And then when two or three families or children are destroyed by all of it, we go, oh dear, I wish somebody would have said something. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. We are Christ's ambassadors, Paul also wrote. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ and we plead, come back to God. That's why the message of the good news is about a repentance. Come back. It's not a message of repentance if there's no sin to repent of. If we just say everything's okay. Don't change it. It's not the same Jesus. And he wasted his life if he died on a cross for people who weren't sinful anyway. So when the Israelites got far away from God, Moses jumped in the gap. Point four, that's a different reaction from Aaron. I want to hit this real quickly. When the Israelites rebelled against God, Aaron gave in to pressure and made lame excuses. You have a contrast in leadership styles. Moses left Aaron in charge, and Aaron floundered. Pressure came, Aaron caved. Lame excuses. This is the lamest excuse in the whole Bible, by the way. There are other lame excuses. This one tops them all. Listen, I mean, this is an accurate translation. It's exactly right. Moses came to Aaron and said, Aaron, what'd they do to you? How'd they get you to make this calf thing? And Aaron said, oh, Moses, you know these people and how evil they are, how set on evil they are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. This Moses, the man who brought us out of Egypt, we don't even know what happened to him. So I said, who has gold? And they took off their jewelry and gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. That's exactly what he said. You can look up in every single translation. That's exactly what he said. Out came this calf. I don't know. It's like your kids eating the cookie. The cookie jar smashed. How'd that get broken? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this is such weak leadership. You know what Moses, and Moses doesn't even respond. It's like, until Deuteronomy 9. I prayed for Aaron too because God was, can destroy him. We are supposed to learn. These stories are here so we can learn from the failings of people in the past. I mean, that is just terrible leadership. And the life application for you and me would be this. You and I must stand together for our faith. God wants us to stand up and be counted. I realize that there are many things in our culture Many practices, many beliefs, many all kinds of opinions in our culture that are not compatible with the Bible anymore or vice versa. I know that. And if you and I stand on the scriptures, 
People are going to mock us and laugh at us. But Proverbs 25, 26 reminds us of a very important truth. If the godly give in to the wicked, it's like polluting a fountain or muddying a spring. People are looking for fresh water. Let's not get polluted. Above all, you must live, live as citizens of heaven, Paul wrote the Philippians 1.27, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ, standing side by side, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. It's good news. There's a Savior who rescues us. His name is Jesus. He's the Son of God. He never sinned, but he died for all of us who are sinners. Good news. No matter what your sin, you can come to him and be forgiven. Good news. He'll fill you with his Holy Spirit and give you new life. Good news. After we die, we can live with him forever. Will there be no more death or sorrow ever again? Good news. What do I need to do? You need to repent and come to Jesus. Don't leave that part out. But I want to go to heaven. I just don't want to repent. Well, I'm sorry. I don't want to give you a half-cut-up Bible thing. I don't want to give you a gold calf thing. Because if somebody cuts out the part about the sin, then why doesn't somebody else cut out the part about the Savior? And welcome to our world. And then we have no hope. Good news is, we do have hope. We do have a Savior. His name is Jesus. whole thing's true. Genesis to maps, it's all true. And we can trust it. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that Jesus really did come into the world. And I thank you, oh God, that we don't have to live in terror or fear. I just pray that we won't build a half-cut-up Bible thing. I pray we won't build a golden calf thing and choose God a la carte. Well, I like the part about heaven. I just don't like the part about morality. I like the part about forgiveness. I just don't like the part of ever admitting I'm a sinner. I like the part about heaven. I just don't want anybody to go to hell, so I'll just cut it all up and just believe what I want to believe and then claim that I heard it from you. God, this is great sin. You called us to love you for who you are. You made us in your image, and we are not to go about remaking you in ours. I pray that you would convict us of these things. I pray that you would also give us a hunger and a thirst to read the Bible for our own. I pray that we would not give in to peer pressure in our culture and cave like Aaron and offer lame excuses for why we watch dirty movies, why we give in, commit sins with our tongue, and lie on our expense reports. Everybody else is doing it. God, I pray that we will stand side by side for the truth and for holiness. And Father, I also pray that we will stand side by side praying for lost sinners. We wouldn't just shake our heads when we see people on the news, terrorists, People advocating all kinds of sin. Hollywood movie stars living like animals. Father, I pray that we'll pray for them and intercede for them. Pray that we'll be like Jesus. Convince us of these things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.